the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Georgine Rice Show live the first time in 2022. Hope you had a great holiday season and are enjoying the start of a new year. We're looking forward to a new year right here as well. James Blend is producing today's program. Sam Maupin is engineering. And we're grateful to have you <clears throat> excuse me, along with us. Coming up later this hour, we're going to talk with Melissa Highland. She is the author of Get Set, A Spiritual Preparation for Short-Term Missions. The book is published by Hendrickson. And interestingly, you know, one wonders, short-term missions, are they back on the calendar? Will they be back shortly? Or will they return to their former vigor? We'll talk with Melissa Highland about all of that when she joins us later this hour. Also want to remind you, since we're talking about missions, that Mission Connection is coming to the Portland area again this year in person. That's the 21st and 22nd of January. And we are delighted uh, that once again, we'll have an opportunity to gather. Now, all the appropriate protocols will be observed, but this will be an in-person event. We'll tell you more about that in the days ahead. But since we're talking about a short-term mission, might as well mention that Mission Connection, uh, Mission Connection Northwest, is returning to the uh, metro area later this month. Well, there's a lot of news to cover, things that we didn't cover since I uh, vacationed during this holiday season. So we're going to try to catch up on some of that um, and bring you up to date. Uh, and then tomorrow we want to spend some time maybe having a little chat. So hope you can join us for that. Well, the Centers for Disease Control has shortened the recommended isolation and quarantine time as Omicron cases are surging. The Centers for Disease Control on Monday cut the recommended uh, recommended isolation time for people with COVID-19 from 10 days to five days. Now, this is during the surge of the Omicron variant. Now, apparently it is not as severe for most people as the previous variants. Well, individuals who were infected may now isolate for just five days following, followed rather by five days of wearing a mask when around other people, which of course you would be required to do anyway. In addition, only people who've received a booster shot are exempted from quarantine after being exposed to COVID-19. For everybody else, including people who are six months out from that uh, second mRNA dose or two months out from the Johnson & Johnson vaccine, a five-day quarantine period is now recommended instead of 10. You might recall it started out at 14, then 10, now five days. Well, this is what the CDC uh, is saying in their statement, given what we currently know about COVID-19 and the Omicron variant, CDC is shortening the recommended time for isolation from 10 uh, days for people with COVID-19 to five days if asymptomatic, uh, followed by five days of wearing a mask when around others. The agency wrote in the statement and continued, people who test positive should isolate for five days and if asymptomatic at that time, they may leave isolation if they can continue to mask for five days to minimize the risk of infecting others, end quote. Well, the new variant, which was first um, detected in South Africa last month, is spreading in the United States. It was responsible for 73.2% of all new cases for the week that ended December 18th. 
Well, the CDC's new guidance, it comes less than a week after the agency loosened guidance for health care workers who test positive, cutting the isolation period from five days to as short as five, I should say 10 days to as short as five days if there are staffing shortages. Another news, President Biden says he agrees with GOP governors saying there's no federal solution to the pandemic. Well, the president on a call with governors last week said that he agrees with two GOP state executives that there is no one size fits all approach to mitigate COVID-19. Now, that's quite an admission since there is a one size fits all solution being imposed on the general population, even as his administration is pushing major federal solutions to the pandemic that's nearly two years old. Well, the president made the comment after Arkansas Republican Governor Asa Hutchinson, who's the chair of the National Governors Association, cautioned the president against taking actions that may step on states' toes as they aim to fight the virus. One word of concern or encouragement for uh, for your team is that as you look toward federal solutions that will help alleviate the challenge, make sure that we do not let federal solutions stand in the way of state solutions, Hutchinson said. The production of 500 million rapid tests that will be distributed by the federal government is great, but obviously that dries up the supply chain for the solutions that we might offer as governors. Well, there is no federal solution that gets solved at the state level, the president responded before Uh, mentioning another Republican governor. Well, the president has put the federal government in the central role on the pandemic mitigation measures. The Education Department opened civil rights probes into several states for banning school mask mandates. The president continues to mandate masks in airports, airplanes and on public transportation. And his administration increased uh, fines for those who don't comply. Well, the president during the call again last Monday projected confidence in the United States ability to handle the Omicron variant, saying that it is a source of concern, but it should not be a source of panic. Well, the vice president says the U.S. will be off the map as a role model if the Democrats voting rights bill is sunk. So it's now uh, relying on the partisan legislation pending in Washington and a rather wide ranging interview. This was on CBS face the nation last weekend. The host Margaret Brennan on Sunday uh, sat across from the vice president who said America would lose its role model status if Congress fails to pass the legislation with Senator Joe Manchin essentially ending President Biden's chances to pass the Build Back Better Act. The administration appears to be pivoting to other policy areas, and the vice president was tasked with spearheading the voting rights over the summer. Well, in the days and weeks ahead, I will engage, the vice president said, the American people, and I will work with voting rights organizations, community organizations, and the private sector to help strengthen and uplift efforts on voting rights nationwide. And we will also work with members of Congress to help advance these bills. Uh, This was... um, what she said back in June, claiming that voting rights were under assault. Now, there's a debate going on as to whether or not that is, in fact, the case. Well, she urged lawmakers to pass the For the People Act and the John Lewis Voting Rights Advancement Act. Well, in her latest comments on her voting rights mission, she warned Americans that if Congress doesn't get it together on the bill, the country will be uh, kicked down off its pedestal. Well, there's a lot that could be said about that if there remains a pedestal the United States is on. We have been a role model saying you can see this and aspire to this and reject uh, autocracies and autocratic leadership. The vice president went on to say in a pre-recorded interview with Brennan, which aired on Sunday last. Right now, we're about to take ourselves off the map as a role model if we let people destroy one of the most important pillars of a democracy, which is free and fair elections. Of course, this is a constitutional republic, but that's a whole nother subject for a whole nother day.
You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're just winding through some of the news stories from the last uh, week or so through the holiday season. Glad to have you with us. Later in this hour, we'll talk with Melissa Highland, author of Get Set, a spiritual preparation for short-term missions. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to the first live program of the Georgine Rice Show of 2022. Happy New Year. Melissa Highland is going to join us in our next couple of segments. She's the author of Get Set, a spiritual preparation for short-term missions. And I'd like to think that short-term missions will resume later this year, usually in the spring and fall, but not exclusively. Anyway, we'll talk with Melissa about that and much more when she joins us later this hour. We are winding our way through some of the news stories of the last, well, several days since the holiday season uh, took um, took root and uh, many of us took time off. Well, airlines are being hit hard by cancellations as COVID staffing issues threatened to and did bleed into the new year. Walmart sparked public outcry in China over their ban on products from Xinjiang. That's one of the areas where the uh, where slavery is practiced among minority communities there. Vaccine makers are touting a two-dose treatment as very effective against Omicron. And American Airlines, saddled with debt and growing pains, is turning to the new CEO, hoping that he can help. Well, legendary NFL coach and broadcaster John Madden has died. He was 85. Madden was one of the NFL's most iconic figures as a Super Bowl winning coach and as a longtime TV analyst who translated the intricacies of the game in a colorful way that even casual fans could understand. He died Tuesday last at age 85, the league announced. Nobody loved football more than coach. He um, was football. He was an incredible sounding board uh, to many, said the commissioner, Roger Goodell of the NFL. There will never be another John Madden, and we will forever be indebted to him for all he did to make football and the NFL what it is today. Also, former Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid has died. He was 82. Reid was a longtime Democratic U.S. Senator from Nevada. He rose to serve as Majority Leader from 2007 to 2015. He died a Tuesday last at age 82. Reid, who was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer in 2018, served in Congress from 1983 until his retirement in 2017. He announced in 2019 his cancer was in remission. He became most well known for the use, uh, his use rather, of the nuclear option in 2013. It led to the charge to end the filibuster on executive branch nominees and judicial nominees other than the Supreme Court. He initially broke into elected office in 1969. He served in the Nevada Assembly until 71. He then served as lieutenant governor of Nevada from 71 to 75 before being elected to serve Nevada's first district in the U.S. House of Representatives in 1982. He was first elected to the Senate in 1987. Well, the Nevada lawmakers consistently bucked his own party on the issue of Roe versus Wade, which he believed should be overturned. A fierce advocate of of conservation, he helped spearhead designing nearly 5.1 million acres of Nevada land as federally protected. And he played a central role in helping push the agenda of former President Barack Obama, leading the charge to unify all 60 members of the Democratic caucus in support of the Affordable Care Act back in 2009. Well, Vegas welcomed a new name, Harry Reid International Airport. He will not be soon forgotten. 
While the CDC significantly reduced its uh, estimate of Omicron prevalence in the United States, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention significantly reduced that estimate for how prevalent it is, that particular variant, uh, earlier in December, saying Tuesday that the uh, variant was responsible for 22.5% of all new cases for the week of December 18th and following, after previously saying the variant was responsible for 73.2% of all new cases for the same week. Well, for the week ending December 25th, the agency says Omicron accounted for 58.6% of all new cases. Jasmine Reed, who is a spokesman for the CDC, noted that there was a wide predictive interval posted in last week's charts, and the downward revision was partly due to the speed at which Omicron was increasing. Well, a time capsule at a Robert E. Lee statue site revealed Civil War artifacts. And the Florida Surgeon General says the Biden administration is actively preventing monoclonal antibody treatments. We'll continue to follow that story. Former President Trump will get to GOP's 2024 nomination if he wants it. That's according to a top Republican predicting the future. The uh, Republican Party's 2024 presidential nomination belongs to the former president, provided he wants it. This lawmaker said on last Wednesday night, U.S. Senator uh, Lindsey Graham made the claim during an appearance on Fox News Hannity. Unless there's something coming out of left field, I don't see coming um I don't see coming. It's his nomination if he wants it, he said, speaking to the guest host. The Republican base appreciated him. We don't appreciate all the things he does sometimes. But from a policy point of view, he was the most successful president from a conservative point of view since Ronald Reagan. Trump will be in the White House in 2024. He went on to predict he if he runs a disciplined campaign. That's a big if. Well, Trump should remind Americans uh, that he secured the southern border, destroyed the Islamic State Caliphate, among other achievements, Graham went on to say. Republicans on Capitol Hill should talk about Trump's achievements during their elections, he went on to say. If Republicans focus on getting through to the American people with an America first message, Graham said 2022 will be a blowout year for the party in the House and the Senate. Again, a prediction. Ghislaine Maxwell has been convicted of helping Jeffrey Epstein abuse young girls. The British socialite faces up to 65 years in prison after a Manhattan jury found her guilty of five of six counts against her for trafficking teens to be abused by her and late pedophile Jeffrey Epstein. A unanimous jury has found Ghislaine guilty of one of the worst crimes imaginable, facilitating and participating in the sexual abuse of children. That's a quote from the U.S. attorney for the Southern District, Damian Williams. Crimes that she committed with her longtime partner and co-conspirator, Jeffrey Epstein. The road to justice has been far too long, but today justice has been done. He added, I want to commend the bravery of the girls, now grown women, who stepped out of the shadows and into the courtroom. Their courage and willingness to face their abuser made this case and today's result possible, end quote. Well, the jury acquitted on a single count. Uh, incitement of an individual under the age of 17 to travel with intent to engage in illegal sexual activity. Well, devoted family man buried his uh, dark past for 50 years until just before he died. Just uh, before Thomas Randall died, his wife of nearly 40 years asked his golfing buddies and his co-workers from the dealerships where he sold cars to come by their home. They gathered to say goodbye to a guy they called one of the nicest people they'd ever known, a devoted family man who gushed about his daughter, a golfer who never bent the rules, a friend to so many that a line stretched outside the funeral home a week later. Well, by the time the final visit last May at Randale's home in suburban Boston took place, the cancer in his lungs had taken away his voice. 
So they all left without knowing that the friend they'd spent countless hours swapping stories with never told them his biggest secret of all. The past 50 years, he was a fugitive wanted in one of the largest bank robberies in Cleveland's history. Living in Boston under a new name, he created six months after the heist in the summer of 1969. Not even his wife or daughter knew until he told them in what authorities described as a deathbed confession. The truth is, God knew, and we're all held accountable for what the public knows and doesn't know. So it's probably good to get things cleared up sooner than later. Well, President Biden and Vladimir Putin will speak by phone on Thursday, weeks after the video call took place. And the administration has asked the Supreme Court to review the remain in Mexico policy. He's now being forced to reinstate. The IRS says income from stolen goods and illegal activities must be reported on taxes. Okay, so you think people who bend the law are going to now report uh, their crime to the IRS. This will be interesting. Pat Sajak celebrated 40 years of hosting Wheel of Fortune with fans upset by the lack of tribute paid to him. Well, gold is set for the fir- the worst performance in six years, and the Biden administration is touting a COVID test strip factory that won't be ready for years. The CDC is investigating dozens of cruise ships with COVID-19 cases. Loading Petri dishes. That's what I've heard them referred to as well. Hey, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Up next, we're going to talk with Melissa Hyland, author of Get Set, a spiritual preparation for short-term missions. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, as promised, we're going to talk about short-term missions and how to prepare. Now, I don't know about you, but I've been on many short-term missions, and going on them, these trips can be thrilling. They can be stretching, and they can also be a bit frightening. Well, to help church mission teams prepare spiritually for this exciting challenge, my next guest, Melissa Highland, has created a 31-day devotional for short-term mission partners. And let me tell you, You can't do any better than preparing for a trip like this. I know you get your stuff together. You have a list of things you need to bring, you know, mosquito repellent and so on. But preparing your heart for this kind of service is essential if you want to have a productive trip. Well, every short devotional in her book begins with scripture. It's followed by an inspiring story, a few words of encouragement, and ends with a prayer and space to write down your thoughts. It's a great resource. Well, Melissa Highland holds degrees from Wake Forest University and University of Central Missouri with specialties in education, curriculum, and instruction. She is the founder and president of Beautiful Feel International, a mission organization that uh, creates pregnancy centers around the world. Her book is titled Get Set, a Spiritual Preparation for Short-Term Missions. Melissa Highland, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. Well, first of all, I want to say it's hopeful and and, uh, optimistic that you've written a book on short-term missions, because during this pandemic, I imagine a lot of people who had planned to go uh, found that their plans were postponed. Are you seeing things open up? Um, Yes and no. (laughs) (laughs) Um, um, 2020 was, was tough. 2021 was much better. Um, I actually, we actually sent four teams in 2021, which was encouraging to us. And um, so, you know, I just think that we, we can't wait as when we can go, we have to go because we never really know if things are going to get better. Things might get worse, right? We, (laughs) we've learned that that we can't predict what's coming. Yeah. 
Well, one of the things I was mentioning uh, in the introduction is just how important spiritual preparation is for this kind of intense service. I've gone both ways, just going without much uh, intentional spiritual preparation, and I've gone with that kind of intention. Uh, can you talk a little bit about why it's important for spiritual preparation for short-term missions? I wholeheartedly agree with the uh, with the notion, but maybe for listeners who are planning on going and haven't had that experience, why is it important? I think it's extremely important because, you know, when we are going to, to do God's work, we're going to spread the gospel, we know that there's an enemy that's going to try to stop us. And so I see that over and over again. I have over 20 years' experience of leading short-term trips, and what I see is that our enemy will try to discourage the participants, and, you know, he's not creative. He kind of uses the same tactics over and over again to try to stop people from doing what it is that God wants them to do. And so we need to prepare ourselves. We need to get into the Word and encourage ourselves in the Word so that we do not come become discouraged by the enemy. What are some of the biggest challenges, or for that matter, excuses people have for not going on short-term mission? I think that one of the biggest deterrents for people is money. It's not cheap to go on short-term mission trips, especially if you're going internationally. And so I don't think it's an excuse. I think it's a legitimate thing that people are afraid because they don't have that money in the bank and they don't know how they would possibly get that money. Also, people have concerns with missing work, um, taking care of their kids, maybe their uh, elderly parents that they're taking care of. So all of these are legitimate concerns, but I would have to say that I have just seen the Lord come through time and time again when people have felt like they're called to go, even though they don't have any idea how they can make it happen. Mm -hmm. When their knees hit the ground and they start praying, God provides. Yeah, yeah. Now, you can challenge this notion, but a lot of us, I won't go so far as to say most Christians don't share their faith with others while they're at home. Why do you think people are reluctant and are they more open to sharing the gospel um, abroad, whether that's just across the country or around the world? Um, do you find that people learn how to uh, do evangelism on these short-term missions when they're reluctant to do so at home? Um, maybe I see that, but but really what I encourage people to do is to really learn how to share your faith, and you're right. People, many Christians do not share their faith, not because they don't want to, but because they're afraid to, mm-hmm. and because they don't know how. And so that's one of the passions that I have is doing evangelism training, because I believe that people who love the Lord want to to share their faith. They just don't know how. And so a little bit of training goes a long way in giving them the um, strength and courage that they need to share their faith. And so really I encourage people to be sharing your faith wherever you are, right? Don't don't just wait until mm-hmm. you go somewhere else, but God wants us to be sharing right where we are. And so that's part of the preparation that we do for our teens also is evangelism training and encouraging them and trying to give them opportunities to share their faith right here before they go as well. Now, your book, Get Set, is a 31-day challenge or encouragement for those who plan a short-term trip. Um, 
Why do you think these trips are vital, not just for the individual who is going, but for those who are at the other end of that travel? There are so many reasons why they are great. Um, Some of them are just because missionaries on the field and nationals on the field are tremendously encouraged when they see a group of people that are willing to uh, spend their time and spend their money to come and minister where they are. Also, they can do projects that they might not have been able to do otherwise, projects that take more than just a handful of people they have on the field. Um, And so it just creates a lot of excitement for the nationals. Many times people want to come to events when they have a team that's coming there, and then it, it also serves as an encouragement for them, and so we have seen uh, the Lord do many things, including uh, so we have seen so many hundreds of people come to know the Lord through these short-term mission trips. Yeah, I, I so often find that it's reciprocal. You come and you bring that encouragement, and you are in the process encouraged and inspired by those you come to minister to as well. Absolutely. I mean, most people that I know say that when they go on their first short-term mission trip, that it is a life-changing mm-hmm. event for them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they, they are never the same. And most people want to go back again and again. Yeah. Now, you refer to uh, going on short-term mission as thrilling, stretching, and a little bit scary. Can you describe that for listeners who perhaps have not yet had that experience? It's, it is thrilling. It is thrilling to see the Lord work. You get to see the Lord work in ways that a lot of times you do not in your daily life. We're so caught up in our daily lives, and we kind of, in some ways, know what to expect. And when we step outside of our comfort zone and we put ourselves in a situation where we really don't know exactly what we're doing and we have to rely on the Lord, well, that's where we really see Him um shine in huge ways. It it, it can be scary and it can be stretching because most of us do not like to be outside of our comfort zone. Mm -hmm. Short-term missions, there's all kinds of things. Many times you're in a situation where you don't speak the language, you don't know what's being said around you. Um, It's different. It's different food. It's different weather. It's different environment. It's also being um, 24-7 with a team that, you know, may not be people that you would have normally, you know, been with for 24-7 and, you know, not much alone time. So there are all all kinds of things, you know, you don't have control of your own schedule. Somebody else is telling you what to do. You know, maybe you're flying for the first time. I mean, it's just all kinds of things that are unknown and the unknown can be really unsettling. And so there's a lot of uh, stretching and kind kind of scary stuff, but absolutely amazing things happening as well. And what you've just described is a a good case for preparing for short-term missions. There are so many variables that are unfamiliar, uh, that are new, that may be challenging, that if if we do prepare before we go, um, we'll manage much, much better. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Now, you write that the enemy attacks us while we're doing the work of the Lord. Has this been your experience? Uh, Yes, (laughs) ma'am. And I'm guessing it's been yours as well. That's right. I mean, when we're doing the work of the Lord, obviously, we know we see this throughout the Bible as well as through our own lives. When we are working for the Lord, the enemy wants to stop that. If we're just, you know, minding our own business and not doing anything to advance the kingdom of God, well, there's no reason that the enemy needs to um, 
you know, pay attention to us. But when we are out advancing the gospel, well, he wants to stop that. Yeah. And again, a a strong case for preparing. Where do you begin in preparing for short-term mission where you are no longer the, the center of attention, but you are extending yourself and extending the love of Christ to those you are going to minister to, whether that's, you know, across the country or around the world? I think that there's a lot of things that you can do to prepare. Hopefully um, you're working with some kind of a, a team and looking to your team leader for that. But I think that um, immersing yourself in the Bible, studying the other culture, if you're going to a different culture, which is typically what missions is, studying that culture, um, you know, putting together a, a prayer journal, gathering prayer partners around yourself, and really just studying not only the word and the people but uh, that you're going to, but so just trying to uh, prepare your mind and prepare yourself to, it's really a, a state of submission where you're saying, okay, God, you've, you've told me to do this thing and I'm obeying you and I'm trusting you. So just being willing to, trying to let go of your own expectations. I think that sometimes people, um, struggle with that because if they have something in mind, in their mind so firmly of what they're going to do and what they want to do, there can be a lot of disappointment because I heard you say that you've been on a lot of Mm -hmm. short-term mission trips. And so you know (laughs) that um, you have to be extremely flexible because I always say (laughs) in missions, you never know what you're doing until you're doing it. And sometimes even then you don't. Yeah, you're absolutely right. <laughs> what a tremendous opportunity to uh, to learn something about your own character <laughs> along the way. That's right. And to see That's God right. redeem, you know, some of your, your weaknesses along the way as well. <laughs> yes. We're talking about the book, Get Set, A Spiritual Preparation for Short-Term Missions. And I cannot emphasize enough how important it is to prepare. And I know we spend a lot of time with all of the the physical and logistical aspects of short-term mission. But if you miss out on this part, you're going to have an experience that's a lot less um, uh, full than I think God intends for us to have when we're going to serve. We're going to take a quick break, but we will continue the conversation with Melissa Highland, author of Get Set, A Spiritual Preparation for Short-Term Missions. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. Is aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I'm continuing my conversation with Melissa Highland. She is the author of Get Set, A Spiritual Preparation for Short-Term Missions. Melissa holds degrees from Wake Forest University and University of Central Missouri with specialties in education, curriculum, and instruction. She's the founder and president of Beautiful Feet International, a mission organization that creates pregnancy centers around the world. She joins us to continue our conversation on her book, Get Set, Preparing spiritually for that short-term mission trip that I'm hoping lots of you are taking this spring, summer, and perhaps even in the fall. I know that um, the absence of spiritual preparation can make a short-term mission trip much more challenging. I've been on that trip. <laughs> I also know that preparation can make uh, very difficult circumstances and challenges much more bearable because you uh, have put yourself in God's hands and recognize that you are his servant, you're going to serve, and it puts things into perspective. Yes, ma'am. 
you refer to short-term sacrifices in short-term mission as mere inconveniences. Can you explain what that means, particularly when we're Westerners coming from a uh, an environment where pretty much all of our needs and wants are met fairly easily and moving into an environment where there may be more challenges? Yes, I I think, you know, sometimes you do get in situations that, that are difficult. But for me, I try to always just think about the cross. And, you know, when I look at something that I'm, that I'm facing and it seems so difficult to me, and, and I mean, sometimes it is, sometimes it is just an inconvenience, and other times it really is something difficult. I just think about the cross. I think about Jesus on the cross. And when we look at it with that perspective, everything changes. Yeah, it certainly does. Now, during your years of doing short-term missions, what kind of miracles have you seen God do? Uh, I know that I've seen them along the way, um, circumstances that are unexpected and challenging, and uh, seeing God move in the lives of people that we've gone to minister as well as the team. What have you witnessed? I have seen lots of miracles, as you have as well, and um, I think what I'd like to share about right now is from my most recent trip in September. Mm-hmm. I was in Togo, West Africa, and just the whole trip was very difficult because of all the things that we we're all dealing with with COVID. We had been supposed to go in the fall of 2020, and Togo was closed. We were not able to get in at all, and so then in 2021, we looked at it again, and we had lots of obstacles. One was that the embassy was closed, so we couldn't get a visa. Another was I only had one page left in my passport, and I needed two, but I couldn't get a new passport because of the time restrictions. They were saying even with expediting, it was going to be 12 weeks. and It was one thing after another. We had COVID um, laws, protocols, restrictions in the U.S., as well as in Togo, as well as in Belgium, where we were just going to be at the airport for a few hours changing planes. And all of those things, just on paper, it did not work out. But we just felt like the Lord was telling us to go. Not that we'll never cancel a trip, but in this case, even though there were so many obstacles, we just felt like God saying to go. And he went before us, and one by one, he made all of the things that seemed impossible He made them happen for us so that we could minister to the women there. We were able to, during this year, during this pandemic, minister to 970 women in Togo, West Africa. We have 14 pregnancy centers there. And while we were there, one of our clients uh, went to the clinic where we have one of our pregnancy centers to deliver her babies, and so they called us because they knew that we were in the country, as well as, of course, her um, pregnancy center director who lives there, and we went in um, to see this woman. She she delivered twins. Unfortunately, one of them did not live, but the other one did. We were able to go in and pray with her and pray for her child, and while we were there, there was a three-year-old boy at the clinic, and he was unconscious. They told us about him, and we asked if we could go in and pray over him. And so we went in and we prayed for him, and he was completely motionless while we were there. But we prayed for him. We prayed for his healing. They did not have medicine that they needed to take care of him, but we prayed for him. We prayed for his mom. The next morning, two people came from the clinic to the home where we were staying, and they brought a, they had brought a picture of a boy to show us that God had healed him completely, and he was just 
jumping and laughing. And so it was really a, a beautiful testimony to the power of prayer and the miracles that the Lord does. Mm. You uh, point out in the book, Get Set, a spiritual preparation for short-term missions, which I would certainly encourage our listeners to uh, consider. Um, you say that God doesn't need us, but he chooses to work through us. Uh, you've described a situation in which that bears that uh, that out. What does it look like um, when God uses us in a situation that he could well have achieved without us? I just think it's so exciting for us. It just shows to us how much God loves us. And I always think about, you know, how at, when, when, as a mom, when we have little children and they want to, quote, unquote, help us, you know, and we're trying to accomplish a project, cook or clean, and we have our little two-year-old saying, Mommy, Mommy, I want to help. And obviously we know that that little two-year-old is not going to actually help us get the work done. But we want our children with us because we love them so much. And that's how I feel as we're serving the Lord, that God certainly doesn't need us, but he loves us so much that he lets us come along and watch him work. Mm. And what a gift that is and a privilege to to come alongside him um, in that way, because you're absolutely right. He doesn't really need us to do that, but that he cho- chooses uh, is just a real gift. Amen. You recount the story of a witch doctor who came to faith in Christ. Can you uh, tell us what happened? Um, so that was one of on one of our trips when we were in Haiti. We were in a village in Haiti, and we were doing eyeglass clinics, which is one of the things that I love to do. We um, so people come and we examine their eyes, we give them eyeglasses, and we share the gospel. And it's a beautiful thing because. We're able to share physical sight as well as spiritual sight, much as we saw Jesus doing in the New Testament. And so um, on this trip, we had someone with us. His name was Rich. He was one of our team members. And he was the one who ended up being able to witness to this witch doctor after he got his glasses. And And he told us the story. He was so excited that as he shared the gospel with him, he trusted Jesus as his Savior, and he said, no more voodoo. He completely renounced it for the Lord. Just an amazing, uh, amazing story. And I think people who have been on a short-term mission all have a story in which they've seen God move in a dramatic way that um, encourages their heart and maybe even emboldens people when they return home to be uh, more willing to share their faith with people in their own circle of influence. Absolutely. You encourage, and again, we're talking about the book, Get Set, A Spiritual Preparation for Short-Term Missions, which is such an important part of uh, one of these short-term trips. You encourage short-termers to uh, not to compete with one another. That's an interesting thought. Why Why would you need to mention that? And what do we tend to do when we're traveling together on these kinds of <laughs> short-term events? As you mentioned earlier, with people we don't necessarily know that well. I think, you know, it's just human nature that we get something in our mind that, you know, oh, well, you know, I've taken all this time off from work and I've spent all this money and maybe, you know, I'm going to go and I'm going to shine and I'm going to, you know, accomplish these things for the Lord. And, you know, as we talked about before, sometimes things don't go the way that we had planned. Maybe there was something that we had were supposed to do on the trip and it ends up at the last minute, we can't do it or somebody else has to do it. And so, and I think, you know, it's, it's not so different than 
what we see in our lives, our church lives here in the United States, but sometimes it just feels more intense because we feel like, oh no, I only have this one week to do this thing. So I think, again, it just comes back to the submission and that we trust that God knows what we're supposed to be doing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, goes back to that passage in the Bible about, um, you know, parts of one body. And sometimes, you know, um, you know, one part of the body is more visible than the other, but it doesn't mean that it's more important. That's right. What, do you, what advice do you have for those who are considering short-term missions trips? Oh, I advise you to go. Pray, look for opportunities, see if, you know, talk to your pastor, see what your church is doing, um, you know, see how you can join, and I encourage you to go. You will not regret it. I have never talked to someone that said, oh, yeah, I went went on a short-term mission trip one time, and that was a big waste of time. No, (laughs) pray, (laughs) set your heart to that, and, and God will give you the opportunity, and, you know, just be open, because you don't know maybe where and when he's going to send you, but I believe that if that's what you want to do, that God is going to provide that opportunity, and you will never be the same. You will never be the same. You're absolutely right. Well, once again, the title of the book, Get Set, A Spiritual Preparation for Short-Term Missions. It's a devotional 31-day challenge uh, for those who plan a short-term uh, trip and will help to prepare not just what's in the suitcase, but what's in your heart as you go to minister to others and find that you are at the same time ministered to. Melissa, thank you so much for the book and for talking with us today. Thank you. God bless you. God bless you and Happy New Year. Happy New Year. <laughs> You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. By the way, the book is published by Hendrickson Publishers, and I do hope that short-term missions will resume shortly. I also mentioned uh, just before the conversation that Mission Connection is returning to the metro area January 21st and 22nd in person. You'll be hearing more about that in the days ahead, but mark your calendar. Friday night, January the 21st, and all day Saturday. We've got news and traffic coming up at the top of the hour, and we'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, welcome back to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. James Blinn producing Sam Maupin engineering today's program. We're going to continue to walk our way through some of the uh, news stories of the last, well, several days, as this is our first day back in studio live. Looking forward to... Uh, uh, to not only catching up, but moving forward in the uh, in the days ahead. Well, taking a look again at the news, cloth masks may not provide enough protection as Omicron surges. That's according to a new report. Now, these are single-layer cloth masks. Well, these single-layer masks may not provide the protection needed against the very infectious version, the variant that we are now uh, facing, the Omicron, according to a recent Wall Street Journal report. Well, many infectious disease experts noted that people prefer cloth masks because they're more comfortable, they're fashionable to wear, um, but these masks can only block larger droplets of COVID-19, not smaller aerosols or particles that can also carry the virus. Now, again, we're talking about single layer. The Mayo Clinic is now requiring all patients and visitors to wear surgical masks, N95 and K95 masks. So if anyone wears a single layer homemade cloth mask or bandana, they're going to be given a medical grade one uh, to wear over it. Not just instead of it, but over it. Well, surgical masks block the COVID-19 virus through its uh, polypropylene 
electrostatic charge characteristics, while N95 masks have a tighter mesh of uh, fiber than surgical or cloth masks with also electrostatic, uh, electrostatic uh, charge characteristics. Well, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, they still recommend N95 masks only for healthcare workers because they're in shorter supply, advising people instead to wear uh, cloth masks that have two or more layers of fabric that completely cover the face and mouth, fit snugly against the sides of the face, and, well, you know the drill. Dr. Monica Gandhi, an infectious diseases specialist at the University of California, San Francisco, said if everyone is just wearing a cloth mask or just a surgical mask, it won't make any difference against the Omicron variant. If you really want no exposure, you have to wear the right type of mask, she went on to say. Well, I think people are getting a little frustrated with the rules changing. Um, and this is just the latest. Well, President Biden is uh, walking on eggshells as his approval rating sinks again, illustrating the uh, far left has lost confidence in their president. Several Democratic strategists think that a progressive will attempt to enter the 2024 primary race as a challenge to the president. Will there be a progressive challenger? Yes. Well, that's a quote from Jeff Weaver, a former presidential campaign manager for Senator Bernie Sanders. Well, that may explain why he answers in the affirmative. Some believe that uh, Nina Turner or former uh, 2020 presidential candidate Marianne Williamson might challenge President Biden. He's deeply unpopular. He's old. I won't say the rest of that phrase. He's largely been ineffective unless we're counting judges or um, whatever's inside baseball scoreboard we're using. And I think he'll probably get demolished in the midterms. That's a quote from Corbin Trent, former communications director for Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and co-founder of the No Excuses PAC, speaking of the president. And while progressives are criticizing uh, President Biden more and more from issues like Build Back Better to climate change, some are skeptical that any primary challenger would be successful, says one critic, Lee Carter, a Republican pollster. I think uh, when you look at the AOC and Bernie's, they're really disappointed that the deal was struck by the end of this year or that it wasn't struck. I think they feel like uh, he's sold out. I think they are uh, disappointed with any compromise that he's made. Uh, they're ready to pounce on him. And that's what we're seeing at this point. But, you know, politics, uh, it's difficult to predict. We'll just see what happens in the days ahead. And of course, the president still has three years before a reelection campaign or rather an election, comes up. Well, President Biden and Vice President uh, Harris plan to visit the Capitol to mark the anniversary of the January 6th uh, riot. Uh, more on that. Authorities are not ruling out arson in the Colorado wildfire. Authorities in Boulder uh, have not uh, ruled out a, a, a possible cause of the wildfire that destroyed thousands of acres and hundreds of homes. Police say they're investigating all uh, possible causes of last week's fire, saying if arson or human negligence were to blame that the people responsible would be held accountable. A total of 991 structures were destroyed by the fire across Superior, Louisville, and unincorporated Boulder County, Colorado, according to a preliminary report from the county sheriff's office released uh, last week. Another 127 structures were damaged by the fire, which covered more than 6,000 acres as historically high winds helped fuel and spread the devastating blaze. And while the fire was the most destructive in the state's history, no fatalities were reported as a result of the disaster as of earlier uh, in the uh, in the week. Though authorities did say three people were missing at that time. Deputies with the Boulder uh, County Sheriff's Office executed a search warrant on a property Saturday to investigate whether the fire could have been started by humans. We're actively investigating a number of tips that came in yesterday and last night from the community, he said.
Well, the Jerusalem Post was hacked on the anniversary of the Soleimani drone strike. Five teenage girls have been recovered and 30 sex offenders arrested in a New Orleans Marshals operation. Elizabeth Holmes has been found guilty on four of 11 charges. The jury could not reach a verdict on three. The California jury in the criminal fraud case against Theranos founder Elizabeth Holmes was has found her guilty on four of 11 charges on its seventh day of deliberations to determine her fate. A panel composed of eight men and four women convicted Holmes on one charge of conspiracy and three charges of fraud. They determined she was not guilty on a second conspiracy charge and not guilty on three fraud charges. They were unable to reach a unanimous decision on another three fraud charges. Holmes is 37. She was charged by federal prosecutors with nine counts of wire fraud, two counts of conspiracy to commit wire fraud over allegations that she deceived investors and patients with her company's failed blood testing technology. Each count carries a maximum sentence of 20 years in prison. The youngest entrepreneur became a billionaire on paper after raising more than $900 million from investors. But things started to unravel in 2015 after the Wall Street Journal exposed that Theranos was using traditional machines for its testing rather than its own technology. And other developments, AT&T and Verizon agreed to new delays on the 5G rollout. You might recall that airlines said we are not prepared for this technology and it may make it very difficult for us to retain our uh, our air service. AT&T and Verizon finally at the last moment said, all right, we'll wait. Meanwhile, Rand Paul quit YouTube citing censorship. Well, a Manhattan district attorney closes the probe into nursing home deaths without charging former Governor Andrew Cuomo. The Manhattan District Attorney's Office closed its investigation into former New York Governor Andrew Cuomo's handling of nursing home COVID-19 deaths without bringing charges against the former governor, according to the former governor's attorney. I was contacted today by the head of the elder care unit from the Manhattan District Attorney's Office who informed me they have closed its investigation involving the executive chamber and nursing home. A former federal prosecutor had been hired to represent Cuomo said uh, last week. I was told that after a thorough investigation, as we have said all along, there was no evidence to suggest that any laws were broken. The investigation was opened after a report last year by New York Attorney General Letitia James revealed that the state's Department of Health underreported COVID-19 deaths in nursing homes by as much as 50 percent. Former Governor Cuomo had directed nursing homes to accept patients who tested positive for or were suspected of having COVID-19 early in his pandemic response. A move that became controversial after thousands of elderly patients became infected with the virus. Well, as the pandemic and the investigation continued, it was imperative that uh, they understand why the residents of nursing homes in New York unnecessarily suffered as much uh, as uh, at an alarming rate, James said in a statement at the time. And while we cannot bring back the individuals we lost to this crisis, this report seeks to offer transparency that the public deserves and to spur increased action to protect our most vulnerable residents. That's a quote from um, the uh, from James in a statement at the time. Well, a separate investigation conducted by the New York Assembly concluded in November that the Cuomo administration materially misrepresented data on nursing home COVID-19 deaths, with one lawmaker saying the revelations would have been grounds for impeachment if Cuomo were still in office. But, of course, he is not. Well, Westchester County will not criminally charge Governor Cuomo over sexual misconduct allegations either. And a judge has issued a stay against vaccine mandate for Navy SEALs seeking religious exemption.
Well, more news when we return in just a moment, but do need to take a quick break. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show on our first live broadcast of 2022. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We're working our way through some of the news stories over the last several days, given that this is the first live broadcast of The Georgine Rice Show since the start of the new year. And before Christmas, for that matter. Well, Omicron's rapid spread is likely due to its ability to evade immunity offered by vaccines. That's according to a new study. Well, the rapid spread of Omicron throughout the U.S. and the rest of the world, for that matter, is likely due to the variant's ability to evade the immunity offered by the vaccines, according to a Danish study that was released last week. The study examined 12,000 households, found that Omicron is 2.7 to 3.7 times more infectious than Delta among vaccinated individuals. University of Copenhagen researchers analyzed the secondary attack rate for both Omicron and Delta, which refers to the likelihood that the virus would infect someone else. For the unvaccinated, Omicron had a 1.17 times higher secondary infection rate than Delta. But for the fully vaccinated, Omicron caused 2.61 times more secondary infections than Delta. And for the booster vaccinated, Omicron caused 3.66 times more secondary infections than Delta. In other words, unvaccinated individuals were just as vulnerable to Omicron as they were to Delta, but vaccinated individuals were much more likely to be infected by Omicron than they were by Delta. Hmm. The findings confirm that the rapid spread of Omicron variant of concern primarily can be ascribed to the immune evasiveness rather than an inherent increase in the basic transmissibility. The researchers wrote in the study, which has not been peer-reviewed. In other developments, President Biden, who once called Trump's COVID-19 testing push a travesty, now faces his own criticism. Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick has tested positive for COVID, even though he's been vaccinated and boosted. Israel detected a case of flurona in an unvaccinated pregnant woman. Well, teachers unions across the country cite the COVID surge to demand a halt to in-person learning. And in some cases, it halted today. Ted Cruz floated the idea of a Biden impeachment if GOP takes back the House. And Democratic Representative Bobby Rush is set to retire after 15 terms in Congress. President Biden aims to reduce meat prices with more regulations and federal spending. And AT&T and Verizon, as I mentioned, agree to delay their 5G rollout. Well, the GOP's Glenn Youngkin, not yet in office, is being blamed for the Virginia interstate mess. Virginia's Republican governor-elect Glenn Youngkin doesn't take office until the 15th of January, yet some critics tried to blame him instead of the Commonwealth's outgoing Democratic incumbent for a 179-mile-long traffic mess on Interstate 95. Hundreds of travelers, including U.S. Senator Tim Kaine, a Democrat from Virginia, were stranded in their vehicles overnight in frigid conditions along the northern third of the highway in Virginia. However, one of the stranded motorists, New Jersey parent Joseph Catalano, said that he reached out to the actual governor, Democrat Ralph Northam, uh, while his family was trying to travel home from Disney World in Florida. On Tuesday night's Tucker Carlson Tonight host, Tucker Carlson also spoke with Northern Virginia radio host Vince Caglianese, who observed that Youngkin, despite being wrongly blamed for the crisis, was receiving briefings and speaking with the media about the snow catastrophe. He seemed quite active in a way that Ralph Northam did not. 
Uh, he added that Northam didn't tweet about the crisis until 8 a.m. Eastern time after many motorists spent a frigid night in their vehicles and earlier today blamed the motorists for the debacle. In other developments, on the Interstate 95 traffic jam, Virginia authorities say rain before snow prevented pretreatment with ice melt. The Virginia I-95 winter storm disaster left hundreds stranded, calling it unprecedented, and drivers are fuming and demanding answers from Virginia officials, the ones that are actually in office. Well, the Chicago Teachers Union voted to return to remote learning due to coronavirus's surge, the new variant. The Teachers Union voted Tuesday to return to remote learning as a new surge uh, in cases prompted them to cancel classes today. The vote was was approved by 73% of union members who called for no in-class learning until cases substantially subside or union leaders approve an agreement for safety protocols with the district. The Chicago School District and the nation's third largest students in the district had returned to classes after a two-week winter break. Well, this decision was made with a heavy heart and a singular focus on student and community safety, the union said in a statement. However, virtually every... Uh, scientific source, the CDC and others, suggest that students are safer in classrooms than they are uh, elsewhere, and there was no need for this break. Well, Chicago public school officials had insisted on keeping schools open for in-person classes, saying remote instruction during the pandemic has been disastrous for children's learning and mental health, but the union argued that the district's safety protocols were lacking and both teachers and students were vulnerable. Hmm. In other developments, a COVID-19 variant found in France is being nicknamed IHU. An official from the World Health Organization told a press conference Tuesday that another COVID-19 variant has infected a dozen people in France and has been on the agency's radar. The World Health Organization incident manager said it's too soon to speculate on virological, epidemiological or clinical features of the variant that was identified in November at about the same time as Omicron. President Biden again insisted COVID is a pandemic of the unvaccinated, even as fast-moving Omicron spreads widely. The president's pandemic of the unvaccinated narrative falls apart as Omicron cases skyrocket. And if you're vaccinated, you're more vulnerable. The White House has made a massive purchase of COVID-19 tests, but Americans are still waiting. A USA swimming official quit, citing a trans University of Pennsylvania swimmer. From that story, the former official at USA Swimming quit her position of 30 years on the 17th of last month to protest the continued dominance of the University of Pennsylvania's transgender swimmer, Leah Thomas. Cynthia Mellon resigned while preparing to officiate the U.S. Paralympic Swimming National Championships in Greensboro, North Carolina. I can't do this. I can't support this, she wrote in her resignation letter. Uh, Millen has spent her career acting as a champion for women's and girls sports, including pushing for better funding and educational opportunities for aspiring girls through sports programs. She apparently hopes that she will uh, set an example for other officials to follow her lead and put more pressure on women's collegiate sports community. And from the New York Post, Millen said she would deem Thomas ineligible to compete if she were officiating a meet and called on her now former colleagues to do the same. USA Swimming released a statement in response to Millen's comments stating that Thomas was last registered as an athlete member of the organization in 2019. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Hey, we're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, our first live broadcast of 2022. 
Well, 1619 author Nicole Hannah-Jones says parents should not have a say in what schools teach their children. Well, Hannah-Jones, creator and curator of the New York Times 1619 Project, said she did not understand this idea that parents should decide what's being taught in schools during an appearance on Meet the Press on Sunday. This was Sunday last. I'm not a professional educator. I don't have a degree in social studies or science. We send our children to school because we want them to be taught by people who have an expertise in the subject area, and that is not my job, she continued. There's so much that could be said there, but we'll just leave it at that. Steve Guest, advisor of uh, communication for Senator Ted Cruz, said, Nicole Hannah-Jones, parents shouldn't be in charge of their kids' schooling, yet she wants the 1619 Project in schools. Hmm. Well, a PA teacher, uh, Democrat, Pennsylvania Democrat, introduced legislation requiring a vasectomy after a third child. Legislation that would require a vasectomy after a third child. The article calls calls it parody legislation, but few doubt Democrats would go um, uh, there if they could. Well, a CBS correspondent says... COVID policies are crushing kids. During an appearance on Face the Nation, Crawford blasted the crushing policies, blaming them for a number of problems affecting children today, including the ongoing mental health crisis, an increase in suicide rates, and learning loss due to school closures. From Face the Nation, they will be paying for our generation's decisions the rest of their lives. Hmm. From another story, citing Surgeon General Vivek Murthy's assessment that there was an emerging epidemic of mental health challenges among young people who had lived through COVID-19 lockdowns, Crawford argued that the cost of closed schools had outweighed the benefits. I mean, a healthy teenager has a one in a million chance of getting and dying from COVID, which is way lower than dying in a car wreck on a road trip. Crawford went on to say, but they have suffered and sacrificed the most the most, especially kids in underrepresented and at-risk communities. Well, the CDC has lowered their isolation guidelines for vaccinated people to five days. An 80-year-old man was attacked on a plane for not wearing a mask while eating. It turned into a bit of a brawl as the insanity over masks grows. One Republican leader who uh, died and uh, of unrelated causes uh, it was discovered that she had not been vaccinated, although she hadn't contracted COVID, but was um, criticized for having been unvaccinated. It didn't matter that her cause of death was unrelated. That's where we are today as a culture. Republican leaders are calling for President Biden to rescind his COVID mandates after he admits there is no federal solution. And gas prices will continue to rise through mid-2022. A new Gas Buddy forecast predicts the national average will rise to $3.41 a gallon in 2022. I'd be happy for that here. It's much higher. Up to um, up from, rather, $3.02 a gallon this year. This is the national average we have much higher here in the Pacific Coast. That would reverse some of the recent relief American drivers have received as gas prices have slowly backed away from seven-year highs. The IRS requires Americans to report stolen properties and bribes as income on their tax returns. All the looters from 2020 and 2021 will surely be coming clean on their tax returns. Uh, Did you steal a car in 2021? How about taking a bribe? If you did, the Internal Revenue Service says uh, they want to make sure you report it on your taxes. What if you're dealing drugs or caught up in other crimes? In that case, the IRS publication says... Jot your earnings on line 8Z, Schedule 1 of your 1040 form, or on Schedule C if uh, from your self-employment activity. (laughs) 
Uh, if you receive a bribe, include it in your income, they suggest. Well, sinking approval numbers for the president reflects a dramatic drop in support from Hispanics. Katie Pavlich reports that new polling from Gallup shows President Biden has a lower approval rating than President uh, Vice President Kamala Harris. Biden sits at 43 percent with Harris at 44 percent. Harris still has a higher disapproval rating than the president at 54 percent. Now, these numbers come on the heels of Harris making the media rounds on an image rehabilitation tour as the president gets slammed with a massive Wuhan coronavirus testing shortage he could have prevented. Gallup reports it's noteworthy that the vice president's approval rating has declined from 49 percent since September. At the same time, the president's has been steady at 43 percent. Her disapproval rating has increased from 49 to 54 percent. And Marist poll from last week has Biden uh, doing even worse with Hispanics. According to the new poll, just 33 percent of Hispanics approve of the president, while 65 percent disapprove. In contrast, 40 percent of whites approve, while 56 percent disapprove. That's a net decrease of 16 percentage points in the president's approval rating among whites and 32 percentage points among Hispanics. By the way, it pains me to make that kind of distinction, but this this is what the polls do. Hispanic voters are shifting to the GOP, according to the Wall Street Journal. Many Latino voters came to view the Democratic Party as untethered from their uh, top concerns, unsupportive of law enforcement, too lax on border security, and too focused on racial disparities. That's according to a demographics expert and co-editor of the liberal patriot newspaper, Roy Texacara. Among other things, uh, this brought the GOP new votes from Hispanic voters who have a conservative bent but hadn't acted on it, he said. I think the bloom is off the rose for Democrats in terms of having an automatic pass from Hispanics. Well, a new poll finds 75 percent of Americans agree there are only two sexes. That's a result of the latest Rasmussen report survey done at a time when transgender controversies are smashing into college sports, provoking protests in federal prisons and feeding protests of those um, such as Harry Potter author uh, author rather J.K. Rowling, who have argued that there are only two sexes. Rasmussen asked voters about Rowling's statements, and 75% agreed that there are only two, with 63% strongly agreeing. But uh, Breitbart says 82% of black respondents agree with the two-sex option. Well, Vladimir Putin has requested a phone call with President Biden to discuss Ukraine. The president will speak on Thursday with Russian President Vladimir Putin amid a moment of crisis on the Russian-Ukraine border, where Moscow has amassed a troop buildup over recent months that continues to agitate the United States and European allies. The NPR reports that since the two leaders spoke earlier this month, or rather last month, there have been no signs of de-escalation around Ukraine, and the White House remains concerned about Russia's increased presence at the border. Hong Kong's democracy has been completely dismantled. ABC News reports on Wednesday, a vocal pro-democracy media outlet, one of the last openly critical voices in the city, closed after a police raid. The outlet announced that afternoon that it would halt operations. Stand News is the second media outlet to shut down after being targeted by Hong Kong authorities. The Apple Daily newspaper closed earlier in 2021 after authorities raided its offices for a second time and froze millions in assets. More than 100 pro-democracy figures and others have been arrested under the security law, which penalizes actions seen as separatist or subverting the Hong Kong or Chinese governments. Earlier in December, the opposition was shut out from elections under a new law that puts all candidates to a loyalty test.
A Chinese activist says no democracy should participate in the 2022 Beijing Olympics. Chen Guocheng, an authoritarian dictatorship, um, is a nightmare from which one does not awaken. The Olympics have been scheduled under the orchestration of a genocidal regime. Can any self-respecting democratic nation agree to attend? The Wall Street Journal published his report. The question is, yeah, they're all going to be there. A few diplomats, low, but... The athletes will all be there. A Westchester DA won't charge former New York Governor Andrew Cuomo despite credible evidence. And Dr. Fauci has the largest retirement pension in government history. According to Forbes, the auditors at OpenTheBooks.com estimate Dr. Fauci's annual retirement could exceed $350,000. Thereafter, his pension and benefits would continue to increase through annual cost of living adjustments. The doctor has 55 years of service as a federal employee. For the second year in a row, Fauci was the most highly compensated federal uh, employee and out-earned the president, four-star generals, and roughly 4.3 million of his colleagues as director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease. Fauci earned $434,312 in 2020, the last year available, up from $417,608. Dollars in 2019. As president, Joe Biden, 79, he earns $400,000 annually. In November, Fauci also told CBS Face the Nation that he would not retire until the pandemic was in the rearview mirror. Well, Facebook blocked ads for children's books honoring President Ronald Reagan, Supreme Court Justice Amy Coney Barrett, and Thomas Sowell. They eventually claimed it was an error, but it is the one error that seems to occur with some regularity from the story facebook originally said that heroes of liberty which was published uh, has published books about the supreme court justice amy coney barrett uh, former president reagan author thomas Sowell, one of my all-time favorite um, violated the company's rules against low quality or disruptive content huh facebook originally locked the ads account on december 23rd and after heroes of liberty appealed the ruling the company permanently disabled the account hugh hewitt points out the uh, Meta decision to ban children's books about Ronald Reagan, Amy Coney Barrett, and Thomas Sowell should be a story all across broadcast news and cable, but the decided political bent of all but the Fox News Channel won't allow it. Um, Bethany uh, Shondark should be all over the news. How nuts is Meta? Well, China blistered Walmart for daring to cut China products developed in uh, Xinjiang, where um, slavery is the norm. The country's uh, anti-corruption agency harshly criticized Walmart and warned of a consumer backlash against it days after social media users alleged its China-based Walmart and Sam's Club stores had stopped stocking products from that area. Walmart declined to comment on the issue. Nikki Haley says kudos to Walmart for standing up to communist China for its terrible human rights abuses despite Beijing's bullying. More American companies should grow a spine and do the same. But it's not likely. The bottom line tends to be the bottom line. The Guardian removed their Person of the Year poll after J.K. Rowling's held a giant lead. Tell us who is your 2021 Person of the Year, ran the headline. It was posted mid-December with a subtitle, Time Magazine chose billionaire Tesla boss Elon Musk. But who would be your choice? Well, a short time later, when Rowling was far and away the leader, the voting form disappeared, as did the results. 
A message in small print stated this form has been deactivated and is closed for any further submissions. They didn't like the answers they were receiving. Rowling has stirred up controversy recently when she res- when responding rather to Scotland's policy allowing rapists to identify as women. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in a moment to wrap things up. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to the final segment of The Georgine Rice Show. Well, China is collecting troves of data from the social media of Western countries. They're turning a major part of their internal uh, data surveillance network outward, mining Western social media, including Facebook and Twitter, to equip its government agencies, military and police with information on foreign targets. China maintains a countrywide network of government data surveillance services, and they call public opinion analysis software that were developed over the past decade and are used domestically to warn officials of politically sensitive information online. Other programs have reportedly been developed to observe Western and foreign language in Hong Kong and Xinjiang, two places where the international community has condemned China for its alleged human rights violations. The Post reported that these operations have been in the works since the beginning of 2020. Senator Manchin has resumed negotiations over the Build Back Better Act. The senator has uh, reportedly resumed those negotiations with the White House on President uh, Biden's agenda after essentially torpedoing it uh, before the Christmas break. Sources familiar with the situation said that many of his objections to the bill still stand, including the size and the scope of the package, the possible $4 trillion price tag over the next 10 years, and the potential for raised inflation. A new poll reveals that most Americans are fearful for the U.S. in 2022, the biggest jump among Democrats. Thankfully, we're not given the spirit of fear. A record 4.5 million Americans quit their jobs in November. Workers are most likely to quit their jobs in the hospitality industry, which had by far the highest quit rates at 6.1% in November, as well as those in health care. The numbers uh, in transportation, warehousing, and utilities also increased. How many of them were actually forced out by mandates is a relevant question. Well, the media is finally waking up to COVID reality. The Atlantic, which has preached doom and gloom for over a year, is suddenly realizing it's, well, not that bad. And many have mocked CNN for just now reporting that obesity is a problem for COVID. Patricia Heaton points out that this information was known from the very beginning of the pandemic, but was rarely discussed by the news media. Why? Obesity practically guaranteed hospitalization or death from COVID, but we're only now seeing the topic front and center. Asking the question, why? Well, the great COVID migration, the pandemic has served to exacerbate a migration trend of Americans moving out of blue states into the greener pastures of red states, while the increasingly onerous taxation in blue states has served as the primary motive for moving over the last decade. The arrival of COVID served to significantly speed up the migration due to the desperate governing responses of blue and red states to the pandemic. Republican-run states have largely worked to preserve individual liberty, keeping schools and businesses open, while Democrats have done the opposite. People have responded by fleeing authoritarianism, and the result is that 25 mostly red states have seen a combined population growth of over 800,000 since the spring of 2020. Well, former President Trump's media CEO, Devin Nunez, has formally resigned from Congress. Starbucks instituted a vaccine mandate for 220,000 U.S. employees, and Apple became the first U.S. company to reach $3 trillion market cap. 
Prince Andrew's sweetheart Jeffrey Epstein deal has uh, been made public. And former President Trump has decided to uh, nix his proposed January 6th speech. Thankfully, Donald Trump has decided to forego his plan to hold a press conference from Mar-a-Lago on the year anniversary of the Capitol riot. The president uh, pointed to the total bias and dishonesty of the January 6th unselect committee of Democrats, two failed Republicans, and the fake news media for his decision. He added, instead, I will discuss many of those important topics at my rally on Saturday, the 15th of January in Arizona. It will be a big crowd. This is a smart move by Trump to refrain from providing any more fuel to the Democrats' J6 democracy-threatened charade, end quote. Well, is President Biden hiding the open border numbers? Well, for the first time in over 10 years, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, or ICE, has failed to release its year-end report, breaking from what has been standard practice since 2011. The report includes the total number of border apprehensions and deportations. So much for transparency. It's absolutely shocking that the release of the ICE report hasn't happened. That's former ICE Chief of Staff John Fear. I assumed, at worst, they'd put it out on New Year's Eve when nobody was paying attention. But even that didn't happen. Senator Josh Hawley, a Republican from Missouri, he observed, during record-breaking levels of illegal immigration, DHS and ICE have taken steps to dismantle interior enforcement operations that keep our communities safe from criminal aliens. I've been calling for transparency into these radical policy changes for months. If ICE is intentionally hiding their annual report from the public, then it's safe to assume it doesn't show any improvement. It shows failure. Well, Georgia has opened an investigation into possible illegal ballot harvesting in the 2020 election, the Secretary of State there says. And Joe Manchin has signaled, rather, he won't support filibuster reform for the Democrat election takeover bills uh, that are pending in Congress. Uh, More on that tomorrow. I'd hope to have time to get into it today, but... Not so much. 25 House Democrats uh, won't seek re-election in 2022. And adding insult to injury, a leaked Biden plan would house violent men in women's prison cells. Lots of uh, female prisoners are unhappy with that. Well, GM has lost its spot as the number one U.S. automaker for the first time since 1931. And China's nuclear arsenal is more than it appears, according to the publication National Interest. Well, on this day in history, 1781, a British naval expedition led by Benedict Arnold burns Richmond, Virginia. 1925, Democrat Nellie Taylor Ross a Wyoming, uh, of Wyoming rather, takes office as America's first female governor, succeeding her late husband, William, following a special election. 1933, Calvin Coolidge, the 30th president of the United States, dies in Northampton, Massachusetts. He was 60 years old. 1933, construction begins on the Golden Gate Bridge. 1943, educator and scientist George Washington Carver dies in Tuskegee, Alabama at about age 80. Those records were not kept for blacks during those days. President 1983, I should say 1983, President Ronald Reagan announces he is nominating Elizabeth Dole to succeed Drew Lewis as Secretary of Transportation. Dole would become the first woman to head a cabinet department in Reagan's administration and the first to head the Department of Transportation. And on this day in history, 2017, astronaut John Young, who walked on the moon and later commanded the first space uh, shuttle flight, dies at his Houston home. He was 87. 
Well, there's a new report that confirms what we've known. Parents set the pace for their adult children's religious life. Handing down the faith shows a vast majority of Americans don't choose their religious beliefs. They inherit them. Why are parents the most important figures shaping the religious lives and uh, futures of their children in the United States? Well, the primary and powerful role of parents in religious socialization may seem obvious to uh, to some, but that is because we are familiar with our current system, not because it is historically normal or inevitable. Some uh, older listeners may remember times in religious subcultures that worked differently. People from other eras and places in history and uh, and the world could also tell about different means of religious transmission across generations. But parents defined for their children the role that religious uh, faith and practice ought to play in life, whether important or not, which most children roughly adopt. Parents set a glass ceiling, if you will, of religious commitment above which their children rarely rise. Parental religious investment and involvement is an, is an almost all cases, the necessary and even sometimes sufficient condition for children's religious investment and involvement. The bottom line is, whether or not your children consider religion in general to be of any significance uh, depends largely on what um, value parents played or laid on uh, such practice and belief. However common or genuine those experiences were half a century ago, the reality today is far different from the stereotypical um, uh, generation gap among adolescents um, and their religious practice and belief. So parents, be encouraged. Your kids are looking to you to determine the importance of and the centrality of religious belief. Well, we are just about out of time. It's been great to be back behind the mic. We are going to, in this year, 2022, resume uh, taking calls from listeners. We uh, abandoned that practice for quite a long time, or actually for quite for too long a time. Uh, part of it had to do with technical issues. Some of it had to do with the pandemic. But nonetheless, we will resume that practice of giving you an opportunity to weigh in on the issues that we will cover uh, during this program. So we look forward to re-inviting your participation very shortly. Anyway, I want to thank James Blind for producing, Sam Maupin for engineering, and thank you for making the Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at GRice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.